the story of Easter. And so I just want to just share with you for a few moments something that I believe is going to encourage your life. Because anytime you talk about the story of Easter, somebody's going to be encouraged. The very fabric of who we are as Christians is built around because he got up out of the grave. And so that is why we're here. And so I just want to encourage you with this story today. And I believe you can leave here with something that will help you. And so to set up the story, there was a group of women that arrived at the tomb prepared to anoint the body of Jesus which was accustomed to the day. And they arrived there only to find an angel there with a question that says, why do you seek the living among the dead? And he, the angel says, he's not here. He has finished it. Risen. He has he has risen. And so then these women leave the tomb, as we know, and they begin to run and tell the other followers about this. But if you look down, that's the first part of chapter 24. But in verse 13, there's a shifting in the story where it, it's like the scene changes and it talks about two men that are walking away and walking out of Jerusalem. And so we pick up reading in verse 13 and it says this, that very day, two of them, these two men, were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So they're walking down the road, and Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, just shows up right beside them. I love Jesus. He just kind of like, he's just so cool like that. He's like, I'm just going to show up. Hey, what's up? And while they were talking, so he drew near and he went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleophas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Here Cleophas is having an argument with Jesus. And he said to them, what things? Jesus playing, playing a little like, I don't know what you're talking about. What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a mighty, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, everybody said hope. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. I want to talk to you today on a quick sermon entitled Fixed on Easter. Fixed on Easter. I like to cover it with prayer. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this great day. Thank you, Father, for your resurrection, what it means to us as believers. Now, Holy Spirit, you know how we do this. You and I do this. I can't do this without you. I need you to speak through me. I give you full permission to interrupt what my intentions are for your intentions. And I thank you, Father, that in this place that somebody's going to be fixed on Easter. And we give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said Look at your neighbor because it's a churchy thing to do and look at him and say, it's time for us to be fixed on Easter. It's time for, yeah, yeah.
I remember growing up at Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church on Parkdale Drive in Dallas, Texas, not far from here, where the Reverend Hilly Chambers was the pastor. I remember many Easter's where you would go get all dressed up. You know, your mom would take you shopping. I remember mom would take me. I, mean, I grew up in the Grove. Any Grove rats in here? Three, three. All right, all right. Well, you're in a, if you're here today, you're a Grove rat. All right, welcome, welcome, welcome to the club. And I remember my mom would take us, me and my sister. It's good to see my sister here today. And, uh, and she would take us uh, right there off of Buckner Boulevard to Levine's. Y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. Y'all don't even know nothing about no Levine's. Y'all don't even know. Y'all don't even know. And, and man, and I would be, you know, I'd get fitted for my Easter outfit. I was trying, I was getting all fixed up for Easter. And you know, I'd get my, I remember one year I had my, my white pants. You know you anointed if you wear white pants for Easter. Look at somebody with white pants and go, all right now. Uh, somebody's got some white pants around here. I know, I know. Some white pants. And so I had my white pants. And I think this particular year, mom, if I can remember right, I had some of those suspenders, you know. And so, you know, the ones that just kind of latched on right there. And, 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 and so I remember walking around on Easter Sunday morning at Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church on Parkdale Drive in Dallas, Texas, where the Reverend Healy Chambers was the pastor. And I would walk around there and I remember I'd just walk around and I'd pull on those suspenders like, it's like he is risen, amen. And I got some suspenders on today. And, and I remember also shopping that we would cross the street and, and when it was time to buy the outfit and then I would buy the shoes because I would go across the street, down the street, to pay less. Y'all don't know. Y'all don't even know. Y'all don't even know. Y'all don't even know today. Pay less shoes. And I'd get me some white shoes, those white patent pleather, pleather shoes. And man, and I, I mean, I was all fixed up for Easter at Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church where the Reverend Hilly Chambers was the pastor. And we loved Easter growing up and it was church community was a great time for Easter and we would have egg hunts, much like we did yesterday. Shout out to everybody that helped with the egg hunt yesterday. Thank you, thank you, it was a great day. And I remember I was a little older now and, and there was an, a scheduled egg hunt. And they had this thing where I was about 11 years old, right there at that preteen age. And my best friend at Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church, where the Reverend Hilly Chambers was the pastor, my very best friend, I'm going to call his name, Jeff Gothard. Jeff Gothard. Jeff Gothard was my friend. Now, Jeff was about three years older than me. He was definitely a teenager. He was about 14 and I was about 11 or so, something along that line, maybe 11, 12, somewhere around there. But anyway, the egg hunt went like this. The teenagers were going to hide the eggs while the kids were going to find the eggs. Such a great plan. But the thing is, is me and Jeff decided to work on this egg hunt together. And so we had this idea to say, hey, what if you tell me where you're going to hide all the eggs? And they had the prize egg. You know what the prize eggs are? That's where you got the. 
That's where the money, that's where you, the $5 bills and the $10 bills and the $20 bills. And so there was like three or four prize eggs. And he says, hey, hey man, when I get there, I'm going to hide all the prize eggs. And I'm going to hide it here. And I'm going to hide it here. And I'm going to hide it here. And so, so the egg hunt comes and I am, I am raking in like crazy. I, I, I got all four of the prize eggs. I had about $32 or something like that. I mean, and I had all these eggs full of candy. And I remember as it was over, all the kids were around, all the parents were around. And I remember looking at everybody and I remember thinking, everybody's like, wow, Kelly, I can't believe, wow. And, and the other parents like, wow, that's cool. And I locked eyes with my mom and my mom's going, And I knew right then that I was busted. And mom said, come here. Mom, you remember this? Do you remember this story? Yeah. And mom pulled, pulled me aside and says, what, what, what you got cooking? What did you and Jeff cook up for this thing? And I was like, mom, I, I, you know, and then I finally confessed. I had to turn all the eggs over and I, I left there without, don't feel sorry for me. I, I was like running a crime thing at the egg church egg hunt. Don't feel sorry for me. But I was trying to fix the egg hunt. I was fixing Easter at Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church where the Reverend Healy Chambers was the pastor. It's funny what happens in trying to fix things because fix means that it can mean something that is predetermined or prearranged. And me and Jeff, we were predetermined and prearranging that egg hunt. We were trying to, to fix it. And, and, and what I have found out in life is that there is not only one thing about life that tries to cause us, but I don't know about you, but there are times to where it feels like in my life that I'm trying to predetermine and prearrange some things. You know, where you put your trust in God, but it seemed like that God is not moving quick enough for you. So I'm going to hide the eggs where I know the eggs will be found. And you try to prearrange and predetermine things in your life. You try to fix your life. And so there's something, though, however, I want to give you the absolute best news of the day today. It's best. It's the best, better than the outfit you have on today. It's it's better than how many eggs that you could put in your basket. It's, it's the news that will radically change your life. And it's this Jesus fixed Easter. He fixed Easter. It was already predetermined and it was already prearranged. Before he got to the cross, he knew he was going to get out of that grave. Before he, before he ever said, it is finished, he already knew, I've got this thing already fixed. In fact, Paul looks back, or Peter looks back, and he reads, he talks about it in Acts, the second chapter. He says this, but God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. The cross couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't stop him. And death wasn't enough. Jesus fixed Easter. And he, Jesus fixed Easter. And because he fixed Easter, today he can fix you. He can fix me. He can fix your family. 
He can fix your situation. And because of the, the cross and the grave and because of the day that we celebrate today, we don't have to live in our situation anymore. We don't have to live in our problems anymore. But we have hope today because Jesus fixed Easter. Fixed up means the nice suit from Levine's. Fixed up means predetermined and prearranged, but fixed up also means secured and stable and anchored. And I want to just give you the good news today that you don't have to live in the hopelessness that you're going through, but you can be secured, you can be anchored, and you can be stable in whatever you are going through in your life. Jesus fixed it after he rose from the grave and he kept fixing people. Even after he got up, he meets these two men for the purpose to fix them. They were followers of Jesus, but it didn't take them long that they already needed to be fixed. And it says in verse 15, that says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes was kept from recognizing him. They knew Jesus, but they couldn't see Jesus. I wonder if you are here today or whether you're online that you know what it feels like to know Jesus, but you can't quite see Jesus. It's tough when you say yes to Jesus, but you're not really sure if Jesus is saying yes to you. You feel like you're trying to pull the slot machine of life, just trying to like get, God, I just need a break. Jesus, I just need you to show up for me. Jesus, I need you to make a way for me. And it seems like that you know him, but you can't see him. And I'm here to tell you today that you, because Jesus fixed Easter, that if you're in a place where you know him or you kind of know him, that you can leave here with the clear view of Jesus in your life again, that Jesus is here to fix you, to fix your situation, because he is here to remind you that he can fix your situation and he fixed Easter today. The resurrection of Jesus also fixed hopelessness. It says in verse 20, 20 it says that, but he had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. This is where these guys said, he goes, well, we had heard that he was going to be crucified. They crucified him. We had heard that this was going to happen and we just hoped, we just hoped that he was going to be the one. How quickly they forgot that he was indeed the one. It's amazing to me how quick hope was zapped from these two men. They had one time had faith, but they lost their hope. I can relate to that because at times it feels like hope can leave as quick as it comes. Sometimes it feels like, and I love Jesus. And you love Jesus, but it feels like often that hope can just leave as quick as it comes. And, and the difference is, is often we don't know the difference between faith and hope because faith is trusting and believing in God. Hope is expecting that he'll do it for me. Because it's easy to trust and believe in God, you know, say your prayers at night. God, I'm just trusting 
and I'm just believing that you're going to work it out for me. I'm just trusting and believing that you're going to help me with this. And, but it's a whole different thing when you begin to restore hope in your life and just say, it could be my day and I'm expecting for you to turn this thing around. Trust says, I believe that God can, but hope says, I expect that God will. And these guys lost their expectation that Jesus indeed would get out of the grave. It's time to regain our hope again. And I'm here to speak life over you today that you can hope again. You don't have to pray some shallow prayers of going, you know what, I'm just going to trust and believe. I'm going to trust and believe. But I'm here to tell you today that you can renew hope in your life again because there's people that are under the sound of my voice that your hope is broke. Your hope is just broke. And it says in verse 21, they had hope that he was the one to redeem Israel. And it says, yes, and besides all this, this is what they said. It is now the third day since these things happened. While hope was being zapped from them, Jesus was stepping out of the grave on the third day. And I'm here to tell you that if your hope is broke, I'm just going to just remind you, it could be your third day. It could be your third day to where you feel hopeless. You feel like there's no way out. You feel like your family is just in shambles. You feel like your finances are just totally just messed up. But I'm here to tell you that this could be your third day. And Jesus is going to step into your world again and to remind you, listen, if you just start expecting again that he can turn it around, I believe hope will come alive in you once again because hope can be fixed on Easter. Hope can be fixed on Easter. And the resurrection of Jesus, it also fixed separation. Separation. It says this, the first verse we read, that the very day, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. This is significant because the command of Jesus was to stay in Jerusalem because that is where the promised Holy Spirit is going to come. But it was so quick that they began to separate themselves from the mess, separate themselves from the heartache, separate themselves from the disappointment, and they begin to separate themselves from the one that can be the one that can help them get through the situation of their life. So they were seven miles away from the very place that Jesus told them to be. They began to walk down this road toward Emmaus into this village in Emmaus. And yet the question is for us today is what is your Emmaus? What is the thing that is causing you to escape? What is the hiding place in your life? What is your Emmaus to where you, it's causing you separation from the one that can fix you? That's causing you separation from the one that can restore you? That's causing separation from the one that can heal you? And you run to your Emmaus because it seemed like you're safe in Emmaus. I can forget what they did to me in Emmaus. I can, I can live with the bitterness in my heart while I'm in Emmaus. And so Jesus just walked up beside them and said, where y'all going? Where y'all going? You, you got to go back to Jerusalem because that's where we're going to see the promised spirit of God. Get back to the presence of God. Get back to what you know you are called to be and where you're called to be. Get back. So he says, listen, don't travel down Emmaus 
And many people are traveling down the road of Emmaus. But the question of our, the answer to our question of separation is found in one word, redemption. Redemption is the answer for our separation. It's, it's the resurrection of Jesus fixes our separation from him. The resurrection of Jesus is the bridge that addresses the breaches of our life. It addresses the places in our heart that we have been wounded by sin, wounded by hurt, wounded by bitterness and by pain because Jesus, because of the resurrection, gave us this bridge called redemption. It simply means redemption is regaining possession of something for the purpose of clearing a debt. There's an old psalm that says, I had a debt I could not pay. And he paid the debt that he did not owe. But Jesus in his love, in his favor over our life. He decided to be the bridge so we don't have to stay in Emmaus anymore. He decided to be the bridge of redemption. This is, listen, you don't have to live your life isolated. You can actually come into an understanding of who Jesus is in your life. You can get, come to this place where you can be back in fellowship with believers that will speak life into you, that will speak love over you. And you don't have to live in a separated life because of the redemption of the cross and how it changed your life and how it changed my life. Because it says in Ephesians, it says in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Here, I'm here to tell you something, you're rich today. You're rich today. I know you feel in your wallet, but they don't feel very rich there. But I'm just telling you, you are rich in his grace. We sang the old song earlier, but I'm here to tell you when it says it's an amazing grace, it's an amazing grace because it makes us rich today. And we can walk out this life of knowing and we can be lavished on his grace. His grace can be lavished on us. In fact, it tells us that we can be redeemed because of his grace today. Is there anybody grateful for the redemption of God over our life? The psalmist David writes this, and I'll just do it as a test on a Sunday morning here. The, the psalmist David says, let the redeemed of the Lord Say so. I know you're looking good today, but I wonder if we could just take about a five second break and just allow the redeemed of the Lord just to open up their mouth, clap their hands and say, I'm thankful for your grace today. I'm thankful, God, that you lavish grace on me continually. God, I'm thankful, God, that you don't allow me to go down the road toward Emmaus, but you pull me back to the place that you called me to. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Resurrection of Jesus, it fixes hopelessness. The resurrection, Jesus, it fixes separation. But I love this one. The resurrection, Jesus, fixed the fight. It fixed the fight. It fixed the fight. There's a, a photo of two men. And one is an international chess champion, and he's walking through a museum. 
And when they stumble on this picture, it's called checkmate. One character in the painting was a man. The other looked to be the devil. And the chess champion looked at the painting and then he told his friend to go ahead. Something about this painting is bothering me. And he had to study it a little bit. A little later, his friend, after walking around the museum, comes back and his friend is still looking at the painting. And as he returned and he says, the, the, the chess master said, he goes, we need to contact the artist of this painting. We got to contact the guy that that painted this piece because he either needs to change the painting or he needs to change the title. And when his friend says, why we got to do that? He goes, because the title of this picture is checkmate. But as you look closely at the painting and you look closely at the chessboard, it becomes clear the king has one more move. And I just came here on Sunday morning with some new church clothes just to remind you that the cross and the resurrection of Jesus was an was implying that the king had one more move. He had one more move. He was locked in a grave on a Friday. The enemy thought that he had him. All of his followers were scattered. They hung him high and they stretched him wide and he hung his head and he died. But however, the king had one more move. And then it was a silent Saturday and everybody was feeling hopeless. Everybody was feeling separation and death was in the air. It felt like a funeral that had no conclusion. And after three years of working miracles, Jesus, the miracle worker was laying behind a stone dead. It was a silent Saturday, but good news is the king had one more move. But early Sunday morning, everybody say it like the old church, early Sunday morning, the countdown began. It was 10 it was nine, it was eight, and then the earth began to shake. And then it was seven, and it was six, and it was five, and it was four, and there began to be a bright light behind the tomb. And, and then it was four, three, two, and one, and the stone was then rolled away, and he indeed has been risen because the king had one more move. I wonder if there's anybody here today that you can testify that even though it feels hopeless and even though it feels like you're separated, I'm here to speak over your life that the king in you still has one more move for you. You don't have to live in your mess anymore. You don't have to live in the situation anymore because the king has one more move because Jesus fixed the fight on Easter. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree about him. Herod couldn't kill him and death couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him because the king had one more move and Jesus fixed the fight on Easter. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is never enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. 
His yoke is easy and his burden is light because Jesus fixed the fight on Easter. Let me remind you, he's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords because Jesus fixed the fight on Easter. He's higher than the heavens. He's greater than the grave. No one can take his crown away. He is more mighty than the mightiest. He reigns from above. He's the all-time. He's the undisputed, the undefeated champion of love because Jesus came to fix Easter and he began to fix the fight for you today because the king had one more move. Stand to your feet across this room. Thank you so much for joining us. I pray that this was a resource and a blessing to your life. Go to our webpage, polc.cc, to connect with us on all of the things that we're doing. And we want to stay connected to you because we believe God has some great things for you. Thank you.